It's time for the Comic Bing Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Batman, Wonder Woman, Marvel, Spider-Man, Image, Spawn, Saga, Boom, Once and Future, Power Rangers, or whatever book or publisher you follow. We cover them all here. This is the place for you. That's right. It's for everyone. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Dio. And uh, sorry I'm late getting back. I actually wanted to do an episode sooner rather than later. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you um, jet lag is no joke. So I spent a week uh, over the recent Mardi Gras holiday in London and boy getting back uh, from from London from London to Atlanta was a 10-hour flight by itself and I'm still feeling it for better or worse uh, so it really took out took it out of me and uh, been going to sleep a lot earlier than I'm used to doing uh, but I am back now and I'm uh, going to talk a little bit about my time in London. I was able to make a few stops at some comic shops out there. Uh, but as always, before we get into everything, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the news and the biggest news over the past uh, few weeks. And actually the past week uh, was the annual or quarterly Comics Pro meeting uh this one happened in pennsylvania and uh this was the first time comic pro was held personally in face-to-face format since the pandemic uh, so they made uh a lot of big news about that and of course with comics pro there's always a, a lot of news coming out of it from the publishers that are participating and for those of you who who may not know what Comics Pro is. Uh, Comics Pro is the association representing all of the comic shop owners in the country. And there's actually an international uh, division of that as well. But they had their their meeting in Pennsylvania uh, over the Mardi Gras holiday. And... uh, course there was a lot of news out of that uh for example uh kyle higgins uh, or from the massive universe announced a huge event that's going to be happening in the pages of radiant black beginning with issue number 25 uh eight that comes out in july uh that event is titled the catalyst war so we'll um We'll, we'll see how that comes about. Uh, and apparently everything that's been happening in the pages of Radiant Black thus far uh, will lead into this event coming out in July from Kyle Higgins and the folks over at uh, Radiant Black. Uh, another story that's came out of Comics Pro um, Diamond announced that 
they are not only going to be downsizing their staff, but they are also going to be cutting uh, shipping costs to their clients by about 40%. Uh, so I'm sure the uh, folks that were in attendance at Comics Pro enjoyed hearing that in Pittsburgh. So also, let's see what else came out of Comics Pro. Uh, there were a bunch of creators that showed up uh, just announcing some of the things that they are going to be working on. Uh, AWA actually had a panel as well in which they uh, had several of their creators uh, talk about some of the books that they are working on and that will be coming out uh, either later this year or early next. So we see com at AWA is really growing in popularity uh, with the industry. Uh, we, we saw, and if you saw the video of the event of their presentation at Comics Pro, uh, they had some, they had some big names you know, talking about some of the stuff that they're working on. Ed Bresson uh, was in attendance and did a presentation. Uh, Garth Dennis did one. And of course, J. Michael Straczynski, who's, who's been with AWA from the start, uh, is also working on a book. Uh, Boom Studios was also in attendance uh, in Pittsburgh at Comics Pro. And uh, in addition to announcing uh, that some limited series were being moved to ongoing, uh, they also announced that uh, Berserker, the book by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kent, uh, will be coming back with another volume. So uh, you thought after issue 12 that that was going to be it? Well, it won't. Uh, it'll be coming out with another one. And then uh, one of the other things that they announced was that uh, they were going to be cutting back on their variant covers. So they informed uh, shop owners that they should see about a 15% cut in the amount of variants that they release with their titles. And uh, then finally, they also uh, souped up their returnability guarantee with some of their books uh, as they come out. So a lot of good news for shop owners from Boom Studios. I've, I've always been really, really impressed with some of their stuff that they've they put out. Uh, Berserker has been pretty good, but I have absolutely loved what uh, Stephanie Phillips has been doing uh, with Grimm. And there was a bunch more news that came out of Comics Pro, but I could do an entire episode just just on that alone, uh, but as time goes on, I'm sure uh, there'll be more stories coming out when those announcements become official uh, with uh, these books and announcements of stories and events. As you know, if you're following me on uh, the TV comic podcast, DC also announced a 
Trinity event uh, with Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman that I'm not too excited about, but it's happening, so I guess we just gotta be ready for it. Uh, but that is going to do it for the news for this episode. So, what else are we gonna do today? Today we're gonna, of course, talk about some comics that I've been reading over the past few weeks. So, I'm gonna look at She-Hulk number 10 from Rainbow Rowell and Takeshi Miyazawa over at Marvel. We're gonna look at Radiant Black number 22 from Kyle Higgins and Eduardo Ferragato. We're gonna look at Saga from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Uh, the first issue of Superman uh, from Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell that released uh, a few weeks ago as well. Uh, we're going to be looking at that from DC. And then Immoral X-Men from Karen Gillan with art from Paco Medina uh, over at Marvel. And then Infernal Girl Red, the second issue from Matt Groom and Erica DeRusso. Uh, also over at Image, part of the Massive Universe with Radiant Black. And then finally, a new series, Monarch Number 1 from Ronnie Barnes uh, of Philadelphia fame and Alex Lenz, also over at Image. So before I get into comics and the comics I've read over the past few weeks. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about my time in London and so I did uh, venture out and visited a few comic shops in the area. Uh, the one that everyone told me that I needed to make sure that I visited was Forbidden Planet uh, in the Soho area of the city. And I did take an opportunity and visit there and then I also uh, visited Mega City Comics, which is in Camden Town, uh, the Camden Town area of London. Uh, enjoy them both. They each have their own special niche. Uh, Forbidden Planet, if you're a comic collector looking for old books, uh, Forbidden Planet probably isn't the place for you. Uh, you will find a lot of the newer books, a lot of the variant covers. You'll find those there uh, in their lower level. But uh, Forbidden Planet is really a place for just about anyone. You will find toys and uh, games and board games and RPG and Dungeons & Dragons. And so all things geek culture and pop culture you will find there. But I was able to... Yeah, pick up a few titles. As a matter of fact, um, Monarch was a title that I picked up while I was there. Uh, hadn't really heard much about it until I was able to flip through a few pages while there, and I ended up uh, picking the issue up, and so I really enjoyed that. But Mega City Comics, and it, Mega City is a smaller comic shop, but if you were looking for older issues that is the place for you to go uh, and so I did venture over there as well like I say it's in the Camden Town area of London and I uh, was able to pick up a few uh, back issues from there a few Batman back issues that I've been looking to fill the collection with uh, so I enjoyed myself at both shops again 
depending upon what your niche is. If you are a comic collector looking for old stuff, definitely head over to Mega City Comics and see what they have. Uh, they do new releases as well, uh, but they also have a center section of uh, back issues that you can uh, browse through. But if you are looking for just a little bit of everything in pop culture and geek culture, uh, definitely head on over to Forbidden Planet and uh, you will definitely enjoy that place. Uh, again, two levels of just a bunch of stuff. Uh, the comics, the comic books are on the lower level uh, underground uh, with other novels and graphic novels. And then on that first level, uh, the street level, uh, they have statues and toys and uh, action figures and board games and just a little bit of everything. So again, both places, enjoy them both. Uh, if I go back to London, which I do plan on doing, uh, I definitely plan on going back to both of those places and uh, visiting them again. But again, uh, that's Forbidden Planet, uh, which is in the Soho area of London, and then Mega City Comics, that's in Camden. So, with that being said, let's talk about some comics. First up, Monarch number one, written by Ronnie Bond, is with art by Alex Lenz uh, from Image Comics. Uh, I picked this up uh, at Forbidden Planet when I was in London, and it is my issue of the episode. This is my book of the episode. Uh, really enjoyed it. Wasn't sure what I was expecting. I never read the solicits on it. Uh, but this is... This is a War of the Worlds type book with a few twists. Uh, so, uh, this is set in Compton, California. Uh, and you, you when you go through some of the pages, you sometimes get the sense of some of the scenes from uh, Independence Day, the movie. And, but again, it, it's really a lot like War of the Worlds as well, with these giant aliens that land and just immediately start killing people. Uh, but again, it's set in Compton, California, so the take is really different. Uh, but the biggest twist of the issue comes at the end, uh, where the main character of the story, Trayvon, uh, is taken away. And it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out and what happens in issue two. I have my thoughts on what's going to happen uh, considering Trayvon is a foster kid in the system in California. So things happen. Uh, of course, again, you're in Compton, so uh, the urban life is real there. Uh, but 
at the end, we get a twist when uh, instead of getting killed by one of these aliens, uh, Trayvon, who is already injured by other means, uh, is taken away into one of the alien ships. Uh, but the way in which he was taken and what occurred prior to that point uh, is the real twist and the real interesting point of the story and makes it seems like there's more to Trayvon that meets the eye. Uh, and we shall see if uh, my thoughts on Trayvon come true when it releases on March 15th. So again, that's Monarch number one, my book of the episode from Rodney Barnes and Alex Lenz. All right, next up we have Immoral X-Men number one, written by Karen Gillen with art by Paco Medina over at Marvel. So this is part four of the Sins of Sinister saga that's going on over there right now. Um, I did cover part one, which was Sins of Sinister. Part two was uh, Storming the Brotherhood of Mutants. Part three was Night Watchers. And uh, just a quick recap on what happened in those two issues. Basically, uh, remember in part one in Sins of Sinister. As Mr. Sinister took over much of the X-Men by uh, activating the hidden genes that he had placed in the eggs as they were resurrected, it never worked on Storm because of the failsafe that she had placed in her. So as Storm escaped, she returned back to Araco, uh, which is on the planet Mars. Well, as Sinister's forces grew, they attacked Mars and attacked Araco, and uh, Storm and the survivors scattered across most of the galaxy. Uh, some just went into hiding, others fought undercover war to try to battle Sinister, and Storm and some other folks from Morocco took refuge with Destiny and Mystique. Mystique basically gets Storm to find Sinister's hidden lab, which was uh, basically on Mur Island, on Krakoa, and uh, they didn't even know that Sinister had hidden it there. But in the end, it was all a double cross. Uh, Mystique was working in cahoots with her wife, Destiny, and uh, they kind of double crossed Storm and her brotherhood as they uh, were fighting to steal this lab. And the reason why they were still in the lab was because it had clones of Mara McTaggart, who, of course, her mutant ability was basically resetting time, and they figured that if they could reset the timeline again, that they could uh, prevent Sinister from doing what he did. But of course, uh, Destiny being the clairvoyant that she is, uh, she had other plans, and she and her wife 
executed perfectly in tricking Storm into finding the lab and then double-crossing her at the end. Uh, then in Nightcrawlers, Nightcrawlers was basically about a group of mutants who again had been taken over by uh, the sinister gene. And, and remember, at the end of Sins of Sinister, which was part one, the Quiet Council, who had all been taken over, turned on Mr. Sinister. Uh, they did not, they did not not believe in his dream of his perfect world. They believed in it too. They just wanted to go about it a different way. And so they turned on Sinister. Uh, so we see in now Nightcrawlers, these uh, mutated, mutated, I say that, uh, but these X-Men who had been implanted with the mutant ability of Nightcrawler uh, was able to somehow be freed from uh, their take from Mr. Sinister. Uh, but again, we see more double cross that occur here as well uh, in part three, in, which is Nightcrawlers. And so now we go into part four, which is uh, Immortal X-Men number one. And again, this is not as much of a double cross. You don't see any of that going on as you did in those first two parts. But this issue focuses on uh, Emma and her ability to manipulate uh, the X-Men to do pretty much what she wants. And uh, the ultimate goal is that they need to find Sinister because Hope is figuring that something else is coming and that uh, they probably do need Sinister to tackle this because whatever is coming. And she's looking uh, centuries down the line, you know, whether it be uh, whether it be the scrolls, whether it be uh, she are. Uh, something's coming in and they won't be able to win. At some point, they're going to lose. And so she proposes doing something now to prevent that. But Emma and the rest of the mutated, now I use the term mutated to describe those that have had the sinister gene implanted in them. Uh, but they they're all going out to find Sinister, and Sinister, for his effort, is trying to figure a way to reset things, and he understands that one of the things he may have to do is reset the timeline with one of the Metagot uh, clones that he had created, but unfortunately, his lab has been stolen and he doesn't know where it is. Uh, but eventually, Emma Frost catches up with him. She tricks him into uh, thinking that he can capture her. Uh, but she captures him and uh, eventually he finds himself trapped. And the only way he can really survive 
what's happening is by joining forces with the rest of the quiet council that he created. So in the end, that's what you see. What happens is, you know, he pretty much says, I kind of recommit myself to the dreams of the the dreams of the quiet council, uh, which is, again, really his dreams, just a different way by going about making it happen. Uh, so that's the story in the sense uh, with regards to Immoral X-Men number one. Uh, next part is part five. That's going to be Nightcrawler's number two. Um, now, just a little bit about the art. The art by Paco Modena is absolutely stunning. I really love it. Uh, it's really, really good. The colors from Chris Sotomayor uh, just adds a sense of just brightness and vividity, and it's just beautiful. The art is wonderful. But what I need to get my hands on, of course, the issue that I have is the main cover, but I have got to find the variant by Mark Brooks, and that variant by Mark Brooks uh, depicts Emma Frost in a Mr. Sinister type outfit, you know, with the winged cape and all. And she has, of course, the diamond uh, in her forehead, but of course it's not red as Mr. Sinister. It's, it's basically diamond, uh, but that cover is absolutely stunning and I need to find it because uh, I want to add that to my collection. So that is part four of Sense of Sinister, uh, Immoral X-Men number one from Karen Gillan and Paco Medina at Marvel Comics. All right, moving back over to Image Comics, we have The Magic Order, Volume 4, Number 2, written by Mark Millar, with art by D.K. Ruan. So, as we saw at the end of issue number one, Francis and Cordelia uh, were pretty much killed in an ambush by some rogue members of the Order who are all following Albany from uh, the very first volume, Baroness of Albany, from the very first volume of the series. And what we see is the follow-up to that. So this rogue group are now making their way uh, to other members of the order and their first stop is going and hanging out in the museum where the picture of Moonstone Castle is and there they uh, meet up with Edith who was the uh, member from Africa and of course they take her out and poor Uncle Edgar, who everyone knows is the Wizard King, is basically still trapped 
in the castle because of the spell that Leonard placed that allows him to not leave. Um, but after this, they make their way to Reagan's strip club. They all know that Reagan has lost his power due to what happened at the end of volume three when Cadelia realized that he was using magic for personal gain, which is a big no-no with the magic order. So uh, he no longer has his wand, he no longer has his power. And so Albany makes her appearance. She's no longer in the body of Rosie. Because remember, Rosie died in volume one. And who they thought was Rosie was basically uh, Albany, who had incorporated her body while she was dead. But uh, she makes her appearance known, and she makes an offer to Reagan to give him his wand and his power back. But he turns that down, and of course he's killed as well. There's just so much going on in this issue. Uh, we remember that Leonard was supposed to be traveling with his wife, Shalom, to uh, figure out a way to find this puzzle that would help uh, Shalom figure out some answers, especially regarding what happened to her and her son, the first son. But uh, we come to realize in this issue that she too has been possessed and taken over by Albany and uh, Leonard is supposedly dead. And so I say supposedly because remember he was supposed to die in, in volume one, uh, but we saw where he came back. So, but he's supposedly dead as well. His head's been cut off and it's now sitting in a trophy case, uh, but the goal now for this new magic order is to continue doing what the magic order has always done, uh, protect the world from outside forces of demons and monsters, but they are going to do it for personal gain as well. They want to get paid in one way or the other for this to happen. So meanwhile, Elsewhere, we see Cadelia, and Cadelia and Francis wake up. They find themselves in another realm, and they seem to think at first that they're dead, but they realize that they're not. And what they figure out is that they have been sent to Caldera. And Caldera is the land where the Wizard King helms from. And David was sent there by Sammy Lou. So apparently Sammy Lou didn't kill them as expected in issue number one. Uh, he actually sent them to this realm. And in doing so, he sent them with the book. Uh, about the Wizard King, which can be used to send Cordelia 
and Francis back. But the two of them realize that they don't have their power. They don't have their magic. However, realizing where they were, where they were and where they are, Cordelia is now on a new mission. She wants to find her brother, the very first Moonstone child, who at this point is probably full power, knows magic, and probably has the strength to take out Albany and, and the rogue members of the Magic Order. Now, when Sammy Lou sends them back, and he sends them back with the book, he leaves them with a note basically saying, hey, I did this for you when you make it back. Uh, I'd like to see some type of goodwill in reciprocation. So basically, Sammy is figuring they're going to make their way back. Uh, but when they make their way back and they begin to take out everyone, he hopes that they will in kind not kill him uh, as he didn't kill them uh, when they return and perhaps allow him to keep his magic and keep his money and everything that he's done. Because apparently Sammy too used magic for personal gain. Most members of the order are guilty of that. And that's the primary reason for taking out uh, Cordelia and Francis and all of those uh, on the side of the Moonstones, uh, considering they figured that once Cadelia may have found out about them, she would do the same uh, as she did to her brother. But this is not only about power from what I see. This is also about personal revenge. Because again, at this point, Regan, when he's approached by Albany, he doesn't have his power. He doesn't have his magic. He doesn't have his wand. He's basically on earth to live his life as a mortal. But she goes knowing that he will turn down her offer and kills him. And that means that's personal that it's more than just about their revolt to take over the magic order it is personal for albany so already two issues in uh, this is already picking up i am ready for issue three to come out with uh cordelia and francis on the lookout and the search for her older brother the first Moonstone child, and we will see how that all plays out. Um, issue three, I believe, comes out uh, the latter part of this month. So I'll be uh, waiting to read that again. Um, issue three of the Magic Order, volume four. But uh, again, if you ever read this, Pick it up. Uh, I know a lot of people have kind of let go of the Magic Order, but it is really getting good again. Uh, and I think Mark is doing a great job of setting things up for the Netflix series that's supposed to be coming out uh, pretty soon. So, once again, the Magic Order Volume 4, number 2, from Mark Millar, 
and DK Ruan over at Image Comics. Let's stay over at Image Comics and go on to Radiant Black number 22, written by Kyle Higgins, with art by V. Carlos and Eduardo Ferragato. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier in the news, so we're now getting to we're getting close to issue 25, which is supposed to begin Catalyst War. And everything that's happened in Radiant Black from issue one and how Carl Higgins explained it is supposed to be leading into this Catalyst War event. And so with issue 22, Nathan is heading back to Los Angeles. And if you can remember all the way back in issue one of Radiant Black, uh, Nathan lived for a while in Los Angeles trying to get his writing career kicked off. And of course that failed. And so he returned back home to the Chicago suburbs in Illinois. But he is now heading back to LA because a friend contacted him about possibly meeting with someone who heard of a story that he wrote and wants to hear the pitch uh, to see if it's something that they'd be willing to pick up. And this backstory is kind of unrelated to the build for Catalyst War, or maybe, uh, simply because of what happens at the end. But um, while in L.A., he meets up with his friends who he lived with. They're still all staying at the house that they shared. But what they, what, what Nathan realizes is that they, uh, that his ex-girlfriend is actually dating his former best friend while he was living in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, his ex-girlfriend is Justine and the guy is Brayden Fox. And so as you go through this backstory with Nathan and Justine and Brayden, uh, you realize that Brayden got his start basically stealing one of Nathan's stories and using that to build his career and what Nathan realizes is that he's trying to do it again that the pitch that he's going to make to this big huge producer uh, is basically an attempt to get Nathan to sell the rights to the company so that they can get Braden to put this together and by the end of the issue, that doesn't happen. You know, Nathan basically goes out and sabotages it so that uh, it just won't happen. And of course, Braden and Justine, who are dating, are both pissed off at Nathan because of it. But also within this issue, we kind of pick up where we left off with 
uh, Nathan and the rest of the gang, you know, Marshall and Wendell, uh, the guy who has the yellow radiant, uh, they're back in Illinois. They're trying to piece back together the robot that attacked them and that they were able to destroy. And for his part, Nathan is trying to find out about these weapons. Uh, these high-tech weapons that were supposedly there in the process of being sold. But he finds out by the time he gets to the storage place that these weapons are all gone. They've all been sold. And so the next mission is to find out where these weapons might be while still trying to figure out the insides, the how things tick for this robot that was destroyed and window just continues to tackle that. Um, what, what I've always found astonishing and I say that in a good way is just how polar opposite Nathan and Marshall are yet. They are the best of friends and they both seem to handle the, black radiant which they both share but they seem to just handle it perfectly and they seem to understand when it's time for one person or the other to incorporate the black radiant and that's just great marshall is just this happy-go-lucky get it by any means necessary type of fella and Nathan is as straight as an arrow kid that can be, you know, even if it means falling down on its luck in doing so. But yet they're best friends. They're able to really work well together, occupying the black rating or when they had the black rating occupy them. But at the end, as Marshall is heading home, he realizes just thinking about everything that has happened over the past few days with him and Justine and Braden and all of his former roommates uh, at the home in Los Angeles is that he's going to need to move back for him. And this has nothing to do with the Radiance. This is about his personal career and his personal future. But it makes me wonder how that decision to move back uh, will play into the whole Catalyst War event that's supposed to be kicking off in July. So, again, I have been enjoying Radiant Black from the start. I've been all caught up. I did get behind for a while, but I'm all caught up now. The art. So again, this is this is not the regular artist on this issue. Uh, this is Eduardo Ferragato and Zay Carlos. However, I did not notice much difference between the art styles from how they drew this story and how Marcelo Costa, who is typically the regular artist on Radiant Black, has been drawing this book. 
very nice colors are pretty the pencil styles are pretty similar so you won't see much difference in the art styles but again uh this is issue number 22 uh radiant black from kyle higgins and eduardo Ferrigato and the colors over at image comics so let's stay in the massive universe uh, the massive verse and infernal girl red number two from matt groom and erica do so colors by igor monte so if you can remember when we left off after issue number one uh the city of apex has now been sealed up in this force field that's protecting it from being destroyed and we have a new infernal girl red in Cassia Costa, uh, a young teenage girl. But Cassia is not all that excited about having the mantle of Infernal Girl Red. And she is anxious to get the bracelet that gives her her powers off of her. Uh, but her mom, uh, who is a reporter who worked with the last Infernal Girl Red, uh, basically talks into holding off and, and or at least while they look for a way to have the bracelet removed uh, to at least do what she can to help the citizens of Apex uh, because apparently there are still monsters uh, trapped within the city as well within this force field that's protecting the city uh, and so Cassia does just that um, I had to read this a few times I don't know and I guess the thing that gets me about it that I need to understand is that Cassia is, is a young child. She's a teenager. And, you know, when I read it the first time, I'm like, they really got this hero acting like a child before realizing, well, hell, Theo, she is a child. Uh, so kudos to uh, Matt for making me understand that. Uh, now, I'm not going to say I am totally crazy about Anna's role in the story because uh, at many points she seems like she is going to be in this damsel in distress role. You know, every time Cassia tells her to stay out of the way and to keep safe, we find that mom is doing just the opposite and we see by the end of the issue it gets her really in trouble uh, to the point where we don't know if she's gonna make it because there's now another big bad in the city who seems to be controlling these monsters and Cassia to her credit is 
trying to do what she can, but unfortunately she is still learning her powers. And so they don't turn on exactly when she wants them to. And it leaves her in a bind at times. But again, after reading it a few times, I I became more accepting of it. I wasn't crazy about it the first time because it just felt so naive before I realized that, you know, this is a young child who's still learning powers that she really doesn't want. Uh, So got to give it time. Now, unfortunately, we don't have that much time because this is the penultimate issue of this uh, first run, this first arc. Uh, They're calling it book one. So this book one is three issues. And so next issue is going to be the end of that one. And we, we may not necessarily get an ending, but that's okay. Uh, because we know that they are, they are doing more. And Magroom mentioned that in his afterwards piece at the end of this issue. But the art is absolutely beautiful from Erica Duruso. And the colors from uh, Igor Monti is just, it just works. Again, you, you see a lot of different shades and you know those different shades of red when she dons the infernal girl red outfit is just it's just wonderful now there is a variant cover that was done by Catherine lobo that i really need to find it is beautiful and again it it, it has different shades of red but it, it shows Cassia just in regular clothes, hanging outside during the day. But it's a beautiful cover. I really wish I could get my hands on that. And then there are uh, three other covers, which include the main cover. So that is Inferno Girl Red, book one, part two, uh, or number two, from Matt Groom, Erica DeRusso, and Image Comics. Up next, uh, with the new dawn of DC era uh, at DC Comics, we have a new era of Superman and Superman number one, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jamal Campbell. Uh, So, story kicks off, uh, Supes is battling Livewire. But as this is going on, he has voices in his head that uh, he can't shake and is trying to tell him what he, what to do. And we find out that the voice in his head is none other than his good friend uh, Lex Luthor, who is doing time in prison. Uh, but what we find out through this story is that Lex is always in Clark's head uh, with his ability to just hear about everything and everything. Uh, Clark himself have 
several voices that he consistently is synced in on. His parents, um, Louis, John, and Lex Luthor. And so Luther realizes this, and uh, he is now constantly talking to Clark, trying to help him, quote, unquote. Uh, so as the story goes, Lex apparently, uh, while he is in prison, uh, has turned over control of LexCorp to Superman. And in doing so, he uh, basically has mercy uh, as COO reporting to Kal-El and has created all of this uh, technology and have all of these people at clocks back and call to make the world a better place. And Clark's not feeling it, of course. He he knows something is not totally right by this. But, you know, eventually he says, you know, I'm out, but I am heading to talk to Luther myself. I don't I don't want this, I don't need this. Uh but he doesn't make it to the prison. He is attacked by Parasite, who, of course, is always hungry for that Kryptonian life force that Clark has. Uh, And he gets Clark to basically chase him, to basically chase him into uh, the park. And Clark only wants to help but he realizes that it was all a trap, uh, not necessarily by Lex, uh, but it is a trap and all of these smaller, I guess you could say children or clones of parasites attack Clark. And the next thing you know, we find Clark on an operating table and the entire time while this is going on, again, Luther is in his head talking, and he tells Clark that uh, he's no longer fighting his enemies, his meaning Superman. He is fighting enemies of Luther now. So that's the end of that story as we go into... Uh, the next issue. Um, now, the other thing that that's of note is while this is all going on, Lois Lane is the new editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, or at least on an interim basis. Perry is on sabbatical. Uh, he's stepping away for a while, and as such, she is the boss. So, uh, having that relationship with Clark as time goes on will be interesting to see. Uh, but I am going to withhold judgment uh, 
story-wise for another issue, maybe two, just to see where it goes. Um, Joshua Williamson kind of lost me doing his run on Batman, and I need to get that trust back from him. Uh, And I don't know if that's possible or not. We shall see. Uh, this issue was okay, not 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 complaining about it, but I want to see where it goes next, and uh, hopefully it uh, turns out to be good. Now, no matter what, the art from Jamal Campbell is just downright beautiful. I absolutely love it. I have been a huge fan of Jamal Campbell, uh, especially after his run with uh, N.K. Jemison on Far Sector. I mean, the way he draws, and I believe he he does his own colors uh, in this issue. It is just so, so beautiful. Uh, I can can just watch whatever he draws. Uh, And I remember he did that uh, Nightwing story in Batman Black and White, Again, no words said at all, but it was just a wonderful, wonderful story that he was able to tell just uh, through his pencils. And you can you can see it here as well. He just has a great touch. It is absolutely beautiful. The color scheme is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I can't wait to see more of it. So... Again, hopefully the story continues to uh, capture my interest. Uh, Again, this first issue wasn't bad. Uh, I just hope that it stays that way, but we shall see. Uh, But that is Superman number one from Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell over at DC Comics. We got... Another issue of Saga Uh, a few weeks ago, Saga number 62 from the team of Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. A couple of things happened in this issue. The one thing that I want to focus on is it's what happens in the first 60 to 75, if not more, of the story. And that is kind of some closure to the death of Marco. Um, now, if you remember, he was killed by the will before Saga went on its hiatus. And in this issue, we see where Alana finds the body, or at least the decapitated body of Marco. And for her, that is closure. Um, you know, there's talk of revenge, but she wants nothing of it. She she thinks that Marco wouldn't want her to go that route. And that's that's that sounds a lot like the voice that Marco had before he died. And eventually, uh, Alana speaks with this... Uh, pawn shop owner who claims that she has a spell that can bring Marco back. But again, she doesn't want anything to do with this. 
on the other hand, Hazel is incensed to hear that mom doesn't want to take a chance on seeing if uh, she can bring Marco back. But, you know, Atlanta speaks with him, talk about how people are cons and how, you know, things that are too good to be true are pretty much that way. But towards the end, uh, there is something that goes on and Squire is incensed after Atlanta in reading a story which turned out to be a cheesy romance novel, but in reading it to them, she uses the word retarded, and that is something that uh, they swore that they wouldn't use in Squire's presence because of uh, his apparent disability. But as Squire takes off, he is now thinking about that uh, pawnbroker who made the promise that she could bring Marco back. But he is now wondering whether or not it's possible that she could bring his dad back. So we shall see if uh, there's a follow-up to that. Uh, if not in the next issue, somewhere down the line, I'm pretty sure that there is. And I am wondering also if at some point there will be some type of follow-up to the possibility of Marco possibly returning from the dead, considering the idea was brought up, or if uh, Alana will somehow seek revenge against the will for killing her husband. But uh, again, I, not, I can't, there's not enough I can't say about Saga. I mean, that I haven't already said before, whether it's the story or the art, it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, but that is Saga number 62 from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples over at Image Comics. Okay, last but not least, we have She-Hulk number 10, uh, written by Rainbow Rao, with art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Rico Renzi. And I really wanted to enjoy this more than I did, uh, considering my love for She-Hulk uh, being one of my favorite characters. And I just didn't, especially compared to the action we got in issue number nine uh, that ended with Jack Hart's uh, passing out after absorbing all of his power from that chamber that was holding it. And we see at the beginning of this issue where he's not dead, uh, he's alive, but he takes off because he's not in his containment suit and he doesn't want to absorb any of Jen's gamma radiation, which in turn depowers her. But after that, we just get a lot of sulking. Um, and I just, I just didn't want that. You know, 
I understand that Jen has her woes as, um, you know, dealing with her life as both She-Hulk and Jen Walters and, you know, the men that's been in her life. But to spin the issue with her and Patsy just talking about, you know, all that happened and, you know, how she feels and it's just... I didn't want it. I I just, you know, we kind of, we've kind of been there, done that. And I really, really was hoping that we can continue moving the character forward uh, the way we did. Now, in the end, uh, Jack does come back, but I am hoping that we can kind of get things back on track with, uh, not necessarily action in the story, but something, something more than this. You know, Jen is more than just this person who always seems down on the luck when it comes to herself and being there for everybody else. And again, I just, I didn't want that, especially after such a good story. Uh, we got in issue nine. So I am hoping that when issue 11 releases that we uh, can kind of go back to that again. But on the side with the art, I continue to love the art from Takeshi Mirazawa. And, you know, the colors are just, you know, a perfect blend. You know, that art from Renzi and the that the colors from Renzi and uh, the art for Miyazawa just they fit in so well um, but I just couldn't get over I just can't get over how how much I really wanted to enjoy the story more and I didn't uh, but there was a there was a variant cover from David Tulowski, uh, which looks pretty nice, uh, which shows Jen uh, doing laundry. But um, that is She-Hulk number 10 from Rainbow Rowell, Takeshi Mirazawa, over at Marvel Comics. So that does it for my reviews for this episode let's talk about some of the books coming out this week that i will be eyeing and uh, reading first up uh batman number 133 from chip sadowski uh, with some special guest artists this time uh, mike M- mike hawthorne uh, is taking over temporarily for jorge jimenez but this continues the Batman of Gotham story arc after uh, the Failsafe Saga uh, with the backup being on Tim Drake attempting to find the whereabouts of Batman and using, using Toy Man to help him do that. Um, then Batman and Joker, the Deadly Duo, uh, Issue number five. This is the penultimate issue 
or is this the last issue? No, this is the last issue of the series, of the miniseries. And uh, so we see how that plays out as the true enemy is finally revealed. Um, I'm only happy that it's over because they can stop chopping off body parts from Jim Gordon. So that comes out this week as well. Then we get part five, the penultimate issue of One Minute War from The Flash with uh, The Flash 794 from Jeremy Adams and Roger Cruz. I have been enjoying every bit of this story. So we get uh, part five coming out on Tuesday from DC. Then we get into the next part of Sins of Sinister with Nightcrawlers number two. This is going to be part five of the saga. Uh, this is going to be written by Simon Spuria with art by Andrea DeVito. Then over at Image, we get into the massive verse with Rogue Sun number 11. From Ryan Parrott with art by Abel. And over at Milestone DC Comics, uh, we get issue number two of Static Shadows of Dakota from Vida Ayala, Nicholas Draper Ivory. And uh, we see we see what happens next after the end of uh, issue one, where we get the cameo of the new villain, Ivan. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out with regards to what happens with Virgil and whether or not he actually meets up with uh, with this uh, new villain in town who's looking for his brother. Then, uh, finally, over at Dynamite, uh, Deja Doris, number one, written by Chuck Brown with art by... Emiliana Pina, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, uh, but Chuck just finished doing John Carter Mars, so you'll see now his take on Deja Taurus, and so that also comes out this week. That's going to do it for this episode of the Comic Ben comic book podcast uh, I plan on doing one more episode this month before heading out to Chicago uh, I will be attending C2E2 with a couple of friends um, actually I'll be out there with the folks from uh, the TBU comic podcast uh, Ian and Steph and I will be out there so uh, hopefully I'll be able to meet some fans uh, Hopefully we'll be able to do a surprise episode. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see how it goes. But uh, I hope to do one more episode before I head out to C2E2 in Chicago at the end of March. That's going to be the weekend of March 31st through April 2nd at McCormick Place in Chicago. But again, that's going to do it for this episode. And... 
I want to thank you all for your support. Uh, again, you find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and we're all over social media. And until next time, keep reading those comics. <laughs>